This is episode 66 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 66 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Tyler Sellers on the show. Tyler is one of the first guests I've had on the show from the East Coast. He talks about how he's getting beyond the 2% rule, and that's when you have your rents equal to 2% or higher of your purchase price on a monthly basis, which is absolutely unheard of here in Ontario. So it was great to see another perspective, another type of number, which is just totally blowing the minds of Ontarians uh, when they hear this type of thing. But it's something that presents an opportunity to us Canadians as investors, where we can start to broaden our look as to where we invest and where there might be opportunity. In the discussion, we talk about the economics of Moncton, New Brunswick, where Tyler is investing. He lives in Halifax and invests at a distance, being three hours from his properties. And he talks about how he is paying double the property tax because of some unique rules that exist in New Brunswick, which he's hoping are going to be changing soon. As I'd mentioned before, I'm using this virus lockdown as a opportunity to broaden the reach of guests that I can have on the show. And Tyler is a testament to that being so far away. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview. For those of you who are new to the podcast once again please make sure that you go back to episode one really dig into the earlier episodes where i dig into the fundamentals Uh, of course i still go through numbers but the earlier ones i really really break them down so that all can catch on and understand and i do tend to go through them a bit faster now i also ask that if you have not already please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and write me a review on apple podcasts or itunes just to let me know what you think i'd really appreciate it and it helps this podcast get into more people's hands without further ado please enjoy episode 66 with tyler sellers hello and welcome to the andrew hines real estate investing podcast. I have Tyler Sellers on the show. I'm taking advantage of the circumstance because Tyler's from uh, Halifax and uh, East Coast friend. I've never had anybody, anyone from the, from the East Coast on the show. So Tyler, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. It's uh, very nice. And I'm feeling very humbled to be able to represent per se the East Coast here on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it's uh, it's an opportunity to get a uh, more uh, wide reaching uh, range of guests on. So um, this is something we've talked about making happen the next time you're in Ontario. Uh, but uh, why not just do it now? So uh, Tyler, you're kind of my uh, student rental investing counterpart in in the, uh, the East End there of Canada. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you got going on there cool yeah so i started in 2018 october late 2018 um literally just you know had no money saved up or anything i was living paycheck to paycheck literally making thirty-eight thousand dollars a year so um here in halifax rent's a little high wasn't doing well um and i i I realized that the trajectory of my life it, it you know I wasn't going anywhere that I wanted to go. And so I needed to do something about that. And my uncomfortability of that circumstance really pushed me into investing into real estate. So I asked a couple of buddies of mine to jump in with me and help. Um, They luckily said yes. And we bought our first place, which was a seven bedroom student rental house outside of the University of Moncton in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. Um, That was my first place bought in October, 2018. And, uh, you know, within 10 months, I bought five more and, uh, or four more. So I had five and now we bought another one, another triplex here. So I think we have around 40 units now. 40 um, bedrooms. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I do have a fourplex, a triplex and a triplex. So two triplexes and a fourplex, mm-hmm. but everything else is bedroom stuff. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your background before that. So what were you doing for work before that? Did you graduate from school out there? Did you go to school around here? Um, give me your backstory. 
Yeah, I was a soccer player out in Germany and a little bit in the States before this whole business thing started. Um, was really passionate about that, of course, as any kid is in sports. Um, did pretty well for for my circumstances, I think. But um, with my injuries, it really humbled me and brought me back down to, to earth where I was uh, missing for a little bit. So um, once I was there, I realized that I needed to make some some changes. So I went to business school here in Halifax and uh, St. Mary's business school is one of the top ranked business schools on the East coast, East of Montreal. So, you know, it's well ranked and well appreciated, um, highly funded by the Sobeys group. So, um, you know, your grocery stores, thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was good to go to, to university. It gave me four years of opportunities to figure out my stuff and really understand who I was as a, as a gentleman, as like a, a good human. And um, that really grew to my passion for real estate because I knew, similar to you, you were, you were in university, you realized your opportunity um, by just looking at the rental market around you. And um, I was the same. I was paying rent the whole time, and I figured it would be uh, really cool to own some of those because I understood it. I was renting uh, for the last four or five years, so I got it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I, I went from universities to uh, managing a marketing team for a tech company. Um, and yeah, I did a little bit of marketing coordination or consulting or, you know, lead generations for software companies or just managing their whole marketing uh, program. But it still wasn't ever anything that I was going to do for the rest of my life. I, I was pretty aware and pretty... I figured that out pretty early, thankfully, and I wasn't in my 40s by the time that I decided that I'd get involved in this whole entrepreneurial game. So yeah, it's been incredible. Like I can't, I can't thank real estate enough. I've been extremely uh, beneficial of this of this whole thing that's been going on within the last two years of my life, and since we've started a construction company and a property management company, helping other real estate uh, investors and, and homeowners in the same kind of journey that I've been taking on. So it's been incredible. Now, I, I think your, uh, your uh, terminology was your fun employed. <laughs> yeah. 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 So right now it's certainly, uh, it's certainly less fun than, yeah. than anything it else. It's, it, yeah. than it was. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's, you know, a little more uh, penny pinching than they, than they were before in, in deciding like, let's wait another couple of years or maybe next year until we put out the patio or until we renovate the kitchen or until we flip this house or whatever, um, where we used to help out a lot on the construction side. But thankfully it's a really cool industry to be in right now because there's so much opportunity within the industry and there's so much demand still. And working from a tech background where we would always try to create problems instead of solving them, it's so cool to walk into a, into a business, into a venture, into an industry where there's so many problems to take on. And all I have yeah. to do is pick two or three um, that are super fundamental to the business and be able to thrive. You're saying and solve those problems and then you can thrive. That's right. I mean, the, the biggest thing in construction is um, quality of work, but also communication. And uh, communication is really, really key within, you know, spending tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So making sure that you're communicating with your counterparts, with your clients to manage that whole thing. Um, it's where a lot of companies fall off. And then the tech side of things, being, being a tech geek, um, I just love automating and being able to solve a lot of problems through tech. So it's such a cool industry to be in right now. I can't, I can't believe that I'm 
I have the opportunity to do that for myself. Yeah, it's awesome. There's so much fun like stuff that you can do for real estate that's actually super useful through tech. Like I've just been experimenting it with myself too, actually, um, for my non-student rentals, um, setting up websites with you know, virtual tour, photos, floor plans, everything, especially now with, with the whole COVID thing so that, you know, no one needs to actually go to the unit to see what it's all about and make a decision. Uh, but then also have them request to view, which is a detailed questionnaire just to be able to view it if, the, if we, you know, want to go down that route. And then an application right on the website, a form, so they don't actually have to write on it or fill it out. They can actually just enter it right on the website. And uh, these are all things that, you know, just trying to amp up the tech to, uh, to make things more efficient. And I can use that every time I re-rent this property. So I'm just in the pro- process of putting tenants in. Next time that site is still there. The photos are still good. The, the, everything I've done is still good. I can just reuse it. It's pretty incredible how amazing this has been for some some business owners. Um, I was just talking to a friend today, and she was an employee of someone. She later got let off, uh, let go because of this uh, COVID nineteen scare. Um, and with that, she built her own business, and now she's making more than she did when she was employed. But she would have never made the jump unless she was let go and forced to um, to do a business instead of looking for the next job because there were no other next jobs to look for during this time. So yeah. the government kind of gave her a stimulus package to be able to kind of survive throughout this uh, time and it propelled her business. And now she's doing more than, than before. So it's really cool. I think from my perspective as well as a business owner, it's um, brought me back into the office instead of out on the field and be able to, streamline and, and find ways to operate my business smarter than I was before. So it's, it's been incredible. Yeah. It's, well, it's forcing us all to learn how to do things. You know, the easiest thing for me is, is to go and, you know, be face to face with people, especially when it comes to the construction side of my business and, you know, talking about budgets and, and, you know, Hey, did you get that email? I wanted to talk to you about it. You know, things like that. Uh, I've really had to, you know, find workarounds on that from time to time. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's teaching us all to, uh, to adapt for sure. Um, that being said, I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to, to being able to, uh, you know, go, go sit down at a, an outdoor patio and, you know, have a beer and maybe, you know, next time you're down, we can cheers. <laughs> you mentioned you have, you have partners there. Uh, tell me about the partners, the relationship, like is every property partnered and how are you benefiting on the cash flow side? Right. So only three of my six are, are partnered. Um, and those are all just like really good friends, like best friend kind of stuff. Um, or people, so one, like one of them is best friend material. They have two with me and, uh, one of them is a new partner. Um, but I've known him for a few years now. He's a soccer buddy and incredible gentle giant. Like he's just a gentle man, um, really good business partner because he understands the risks that come with all of this, but doesn't go for blame first, always goes for solution. Um, and that's really important to me. If I'm going to do business, I want to help people that I respect and I want to help. Um, and that I know so that it'll happen again, or we can go for beers and reminisce of mm-hmm. where we've come and how far we've come throughout this process. So, I mean, um, most of the investments that I bring in to people, they're all close friends because I want to see my close friends succeed. Um, and the deals that I tend to bring in are, are heavy cash flowing properties um simply just because of my connections in the city and then the the negotiation stage of the acquisition so it it really does end up uh, becoming a highly profitable business and i just i worry about bringing in just about anyone mm-hmm. uh, so i go through a heavy vetting process and you know i say three 
right? I could go for 20 partnerships if I wanted to. Um, it's just not the business model that I'm interested in for myself. I, I, I am interested in looking into, you know, syndications or capital, like owning a, a company where I can take money f- uh, from people and then disperse that into investments that I see fit. But for right now, as a small company, as a small business, as just a partnership agreement, it's, it's really important for me to make sure that it's a close friend or someone that I really trust. Probably the number one thing, you know, this is just my opinion, you want to look out for is, is that person reasonable? And reasonable to an extreme degree. Like you can, you know that they will respond with reason when things happen. What's their temper like? How, how much does it take to get them heated? Because, um, you know, people who get, you know, fear, if people are easily uh, made afraid, uh, then, then they are likely to respond with strong emotions. And uh, I, I keep saying this lately, but fear is just like literally our biggest enemy. Fear in real estate investing, fear of this virus, fear of everything. Um, so, Big ones. Yeah. Are they reasonable? Um, you know, what's their temper like, you know, how are they level headed or do they tend to, to react emotionally to things? And I think that, uh, I would, I would tend to really look for somebody who's really strong on the reasonable side, really strong on the, um, the balanced reaction side. And then what I would do, um, you know, I kind of, um, you know, theorizing for the future. When I do go down that road, that's what I'll, I'll be looking for. Absolutely. You know, people who, who resonate with me, who get me, but I'll structure the deals in a way that, you know, it fits my philosophy. So there's nothing to fear. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way that I, well, at least I consider my approach as, uh, as, as mitigated as it could be. Um, and you know, this situation we're in right now, I think you'll agree in your portfolio is probably being put to the test too, or, or maybe, um, you know, this is that black swan event that we could have never predicted. And, you know, this is why cash flow is so important. This is why a buffer is so important. And uh, you're blessed with cash flow out there. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, curious about your thoughts on selecting partners in terms of those fundamentals, or if there's anything you would add to that. I would love to add something to that. I think you eloquently uh, express it much better than me. But there is something that I would like to add um, to that point. It's where, and I'll give an example. Uh, last, so we bought a property a few months ago. Um, and if you were just investing with someone who's like, I want money, I want money now. They would take the first three months of owning that property as a huge loss and they would question everything. Um, and it would be very, it would be a quick bitterness uh, to that relationship because the first three months are always really tough to, to gain cash flow because you need to either move people out to get higher rents or, um, you know, negotiate with the people that are in there already to gain those, those higher rents. I typically buy turnkey properties. This particular property wasn't exactly turnkey. There were a huge amount of problems that we had to fix, but as soon as we fixed them, the tenants that were in there were extremely grateful. And what that enabled me to do is, is negotiate and have a little bit more negotiating power, but I'm still in the middle of COVID-19. So I can't say, Hey, next month I want to increase the rents another $400. What do you think? it's not going to work. You're not going to be that landlord that everyone wants to work with. And, and that's kind of what I want to do. I'm not, I'm not totally on the, Hey, I'm your friend side, but I'm also on the, I'm a human too. I've been in tough decisions or situations and I want to help. How can we work together? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to make money and they're going to pay me their rent. If they don't, I'm on the good side, you know? So yeah, I, I think that relationship that I have with that particular partner, the first three months have been really tough because we've had to put a lot of capital into um, making sure that the property is a sound investment for the next 10 years. Right. Um, but then the tenants aren't 10 year tenants. They are 
lower income tenants um, that aren't yielding us returns. So the first three yeah. months are, are really tough. And if I didn't have the the partner that I that I have um, in that mindset, then I would I would be you know a terrible investor to yeah. these people or partner to these people. But I, I'm thankful that I work with people that are very reasonable to your point. Now, do you, do you uh, try and get stuff in writing between them? Say, Hey, just so you know, we're going to be investing $20,000, absolutely no cash flow until after six months. Let's just plan on it. This is what we need. Or do you, what's your approach with that? Nothing in writing uh, as of yet. I haven't had to come to that, thankfully. Um, although I do see extreme value in that. Right. But that was our plan. Even just was, an email, right? Even right, just, like, exactly. hey, yeah, just, yeah. just so, need you to acknowledge no cash flow for six months. And then you can say, Hey buddy, remember that email? <laughs> right. Yes. We're on okay. Track. So that, that, yes, um, we do. We write everything on messenger, um, or text messaging or something like that, but nothing is signed yeah. papers. Um, yeah. but I think it is really important to do something like that where you kind of set out the line. The thing is, is that we never plan to not cash flow in three months. We saw the property, um, in a great state and then it flooded, uh, two days before closing. And, um, there were multiple offers against us and stuff like that. So when we renegotiated after the flood, um, the sellers were, were kind of, you know, let down by themselves, by their property, by the offer, because we had so much money to try to reinvest into the property to make it worthy again after this flood. And uh, I think owning the construction company certainly helped because my costs are much lower than hiring a third party to come in and help. Um, But we were able to negotiate with the seller and it worked out. Um, But yeah, like that was never the plan. Typically I I buy properties turnkey and they're, they're already cash flowing. Um, this is just one of those anomalies. So one of those you had to actually do work, we weren't, we weren't anticipating it, but you actually ended up having to. That's right. Yeah, that happens all the time. Well, there's always going to be some stuff. And you brought up an interesting point there, which I was just talking to, uh, to one of my coaching students today about. And uh, he was, he was uh, basically, you know, we were talking about ideal properties. What do you want to own? You know, and I, f- I feel like so many people are in a rush to just buy anything. And I don't resonate that well with that because that's how I started. And I more like to take the approach now of like, what would you want to own for 20 to 30 years? What would you, you know, an area you like enough that, Hey, I'm cool to own that. You know, I believe in the fundamentals, you know, uh, London, I'll give the example. Like I like that because they've got healthcare education. They've got multiple corporate head offices. It's a, it's an entirely self like standalone town. Uh, it doesn't rely on any other towns nearby. It has everything it needs right in, in, in there. Um, so there's, there's so many economic diversities there that make me like it. Uh, even if students for some reason stopped being a thing and there weren't, there weren't really, you know, the, there wasn't the demand to go to school. There's other reasons that I could use my houses, which, I mean, these are all things that make me happy to own for, for 30 years in the area. But then you add on, okay, do I have enough parking? Do I have uh, the bones of the house? Are they good in a, in a way that I know I can renovate this house in the future? Still going to like that enough space, enough area in the yard. Um, you know, you don't want to have a fundamental flaw. Like one of my properties, you know, I've got, eight bedrooms and only uh, four parking spaces mm. and they're really tight. Um, and it, it's just created a little bit of a challenge. And if you have enough of those little challenges, and I know this is a tangent, but if you have enough of those little challenges, it's enough to make your unit turn over more often. And this is where the numbers can lie to people because you know, your cash flow sheet might look really good, but if you've got a f- couple of enough fundamental flaws in your property, your tenants might come in and then they realize, you know what? 
I hear the, the tenant next door. I don't like that. The parking kind of sucks. You know what? Let's find another place. You know what I mean? You don't want to find yourself in that situation. So this is why, I mean, my, my approach changed, you know, X number of years ago, probably like 2014, I kind of learned my lesson from buying bad non-fundamental properties. I'm like, okay, no more. And, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have some criteria that you're looking for that, that makes it a property you want to own long-term? Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to agree fully with the original point because in my, um, in my scenario, I, I bought a crap property to get mm-hmm. started. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly so wasn't property. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> that's how most people start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. And it's not one of those properties that I want to yeah. own for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Like never. Um, I don't know if you saw my Instagram story, but I, I literally pulled out a couple toilets in the same building due to a plumbing issue. And there was t-shirts in it. There were popsicle sticks in it. We had to get this like military grade pump to like throw air in it. It came splashing out. Oh this my God. Oh, it's awful. I saw it up pictures. on the ceiling. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but I have to do that so that I can buy the huge multi-units in yeah. five years. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's different, I think, um, from, from that, from this plan versus, you know, 20 or 30 years is it's all about cash flow for me. So if I can buy a really nice multi-unit property that cash flows just $5,000 instead of, you know, 20,000 or 10,000, but it's a beautiful property. It's going to last, it's going to stay there for, you know, five to 20 years, uh, brand new, like beautiful. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, all of my properties are aging, um, they're all going to need to be, you know, somewhat renovated every year, or like touched up every year, but mm-hmm. the cash flow is unreal. So the benefit of that is I'm building up my savings faster than I ever would with the multi-units to be able to buy a multi-unit in, okay. in that time. Um, and I'm taking the hit personally with my own time so that I can, I can do that and spend, you know, more time on the beach or something like that later on. Yeah. So you're kind of leapfrogging into the, the bigger property with these ones that you know, don't necessarily want to keep forever. Um, and, and to that point, like, so, so I might look at something and say, well, it's unrenovated now, but it's in my five year to 10 year plan to do further renovations on it or something as it is. I don't love it, but you know, down the road, I'm going to turn it into something that, that I will love, or at least the opportunity is there to do that. Um, that's what I try to look for now. I'm not saying, um, that's going to fit every model because you're in a very different model, t- uh, space too out there. And I, that's, that's a good segue into our discussion about, uh, your pricing and, uh, your cash flow. So give me an example of a, of a good deal you've done property that you bought, what you bought it for. I love, but hate talking about this. Um, I'm in a really good market, so not every market's going to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone wants to talk to me about my market, more than happy to share. I'd yeah. also be more than happy to discuss about partnerships through this because sharing these numbers really get a lot of people from your area um, interested. And I've done this before, and you know they'll they'll jump in. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great because I do believe in the market that I'm in, um, and I think that more people should be should be looking into the market. So with that tangent, I, I'll, I'll dive into the numbers. Um, All right. So one building that I, I bought just uh, in September, it's it's one of my better properties, um, but it's the one that I always use as an example because it's just uh, easier to understand. It's a uh, It was a single-family house with nine bedrooms. Um, okay. Massive house, uh, beautiful lot, corner lot on two really main streets. So I put my um, my 
advertising signs on there for the construction company. And I put, you know, anything that I can to get views because about a hundred thousand cars, um, go, go by that place. Wow. Um, every, every month. Right. So it's, it's pretty insane. Um, and it's, it's a great part of town because it's two minutes walk from the university of Moncton. So it's like right across the street on a corner. It's fantastic with huge lights that stop. Everyone stops right in front of my property. So I never really have to worry about like burglary or, or problems with the exterior of the house because it's just too busy in that area. And it's a really great area as well. Um, I bought it for 160. Um, I got 5% cash back from CIBC. I was able to put 20% down for the property. So really 15 um, after the cash back. And then we had a VTB situation as well. Um, all in, I probably paid around nine or $10,000 for the property. Okay. Um, and it cash flows about 14 to 1800 a month. Yeah. You weren't kidding. And that, is that adjusting for maintenance? Yeah, that's, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so even deducting off like a fair maintenance amount. So what would you say? So 1600 a month on average, uh, for cash flow. Yeah. On a safe side, let's say 14. Okay. So 1400. Wow. That's some solid cash flow. So what I did in that property in particular is I divided it. Um, nine bedrooms is just too many for a rooming house. There's too, mm-hmm. too much stress. There's too many people in and out. It's just a problem. Um, too many too many personalities in one small space. Yeah. So what I did is I divided it. I added a kitchen. I added a bathroom. Um, I took part of one big room and turned it into a bathroom and then took one uh, bedroom and turned it into a kitchen. So now it's a four by four duplex. Okay. I mean, still, it still yields that, um, you know, a lot of parking, like I think eight, nine car parking spot with a backyard, a patio, um, main street, stuff like that. Well, that sounds pretty phenomenal. Now, is there, were there issues with bylaw or did you just go ahead and do it with what? So So separating the units. Yes. Um, so thankfully, no, uh, it is a duplex, legal duplex. Okay. So you're able to just make that happen. Um, okay. So would you say that typically out there, you've seen like at least a 2% appreciation or not really 3%, 3%. You still see that? Okay. So if you're seeing 3%, like just to give an idea, um, what these numbers look like. So you bought for, for 160,000, your mortgage pay down at an 85% mortgage on the, on the, uh, 160,000 times 3%. I do my little 3% pay down, uh, it's about 4,000 a year. So your total return on something that you're only in for 9,000 is approximately 25,680. I guess the only thing is I didn't do a, an interest. Uh, well, actually, no, you said your cash flow, which would have been adjusted for your mortgage right. payment on yeah. the second there. So, so 25,000 return on something with 9,000 in. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I will say though about New Brunswick, which is really unfortunate is it's the only province or state in North America. And I'm pretty sure the world, um, that double taxes people that don't live in that particular home for property tax. Yeah. Florida has something similar okay. to that. I don't think it's property tax that they charge you if you're an out-of-state investor, but yeah, I don't think it's yes. property tax. And I, yeah. I thought Ontario might do something like that as well. No way. Possibly. I mean, I'm here, so I don't, I don't know if, if that's the case, if I wasn't living here. Yeah. It's not, it's not double tax like it is in New Brunswick. I knew that there's maybe something for like a seasonal house or something like that, but here in, uh, or in New Brunswick, sorry, if you own a property and you live there, you only pay 
a normal tax. I think it's like, you know, $4,000 for a 160 or $170,000 home. Oh, so those are pretty high property taxes. Relative yes. To the they're, they're, yeah. They're still high, but imagine being double that. So, so you're 8,000. So that property you're talking about is 8,000 actually. Yeah, we have, uh, I have one property. It's a fourplex. It, I'm paying uh, $900 a month on just property tax. Oh my God. Yeah. How inefficient is your government that they need that much money? Well, it's the poorest province in Canada. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Okay. So yeah. that's interesting. So but yeah, I will say though that, um, Blaine Higgs so the new premier of New Brunswick, um, after the liberal government. So he's part of the conservative government. When he got into power, he pretty much got into power because of the property tax um, initiative. He said that he would lower the double tax because you can imagine how many people own maybe a cottage in uh, the Shediac area off the ocean or something up North where they love to go in the winters or something like that. Right. Um, There's loads of people like that and they're getting double tax on those properties that they're hardly in. So it's really tough for a lot of New Brunswickers, um, this whole double tax initiative, especially for investors. I mean, Killam Properties is, is thriving in Ontario right now. They're a Halifax-based company, um, investing in New Brunswick anymore because of this double tax. Now they might come back because of Blaine Higgs promises, but that's obviously in the back burner at this point because of COVID. So we'll see. Yeah, it's uh, there's nothing like a detractor of uh, of that proportion to make you not want to invest somewhere. Um, anyway, so so I mean, your numbers are still really good, even adjusting for that. But you must be getting massive rents. So 160 thousand uh, purchase price. What are your rents on that across all the nine bedrooms? So per bedroom, it's around 450. So 450 times nine, so we'd be looking at about 4,000. So you're over the two percent rule. You're almost mm-hmm. almost three percent. What are you? let's let's get the exact number there? <laughs> yeah, two and a half percent. That's yeah. I mean, that's crazy. So that that allows you to pay the higher the higher uh, property tax, right? Yeah, but you can't you can't wait until the that double tax comes down too, right? You can imagine oh, yeah. what I could do with that. So um, that's kind of why I I saw the trend when everyone was voting conservative. Um, in the prelims that I, I realized, oh, things are shifting and this is their promise. So this is kind of why a lot of people are, might be interested. And it's safe to say um, that the Liberal government lost their power because uh, they enforced this um, extra tax as well on the property. So they increased everyone's valuation by something like 5 or 10%, everyone in the province, which increased their taxes, of course, uh, quite a bit, especially on the double tax side. So um, they lost their power pretty quick. And then Blaine Higgs walked in and and said, hey, this is what we'll try to do. So I'm looking forward to it, but it certainly doesn't deter me from investing in New Brunswick as long as I find a cash flowing property. Well, yeah, it all comes back to the numbers. Um, I guess just the theme of today, it just seems to be numbers can lie. (laughs) So so you really do have to question your numbers and and, and perform sensitivity is what I would say on them, right? Like what, again, again, you know, just, just as your taxes could come down, what if they were to go up? Another big thing that's happened in the last, year is, is that insurance rates have gone up like crazy. If you were riding the line uh, from cash flow, no cash flow, and now all of a sudden your insurance you know, is 50% higher, for some people, that's, that's really going to hurt. Mm. Especially if for some reason, values go down and then rents go down a little bit to follow. Um, that's why that, that buffer is so critical. But uh, so for those, for those of you who don't know that context or didn't get it from what you're saying, you're living in Halifax, but investing in New Brunswick. Um, you, did you look at the Halifax market? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I rented, this is where I kind of started my eye, my keen eye for buying rental properties. My parents and I grew up in New Brunswick in Moncton. So, um, I never really thought about owning any properties in Moncton just because 
it's where I grew up. So you can imagine like the mentality is like, uh, I'm leaving, I'm done. I'm, I'm never coming back kind of thing. But once I saw the properties here in Halifax and what they cash flow, um, purchase prices here are incredible. Like they're really high. So as a, as a landowner or a property owner here in Halifax, you're doing well. Um, but for someone trying to get into the market and looking strictly for cash flow, it just wasn't my market right now. Well, you can imagine, I mean, I don't think it's going to take that much imagination to, uh, to think how many properties would you need to own if they were cash flowing 16,800 a piece a year, uh, before you could replace your income. So, you know, you're talking about 14,000, 1400 on one, um, the cost of living out where you are is probably a little bit cheaper, uh, than here in, here in Ontario. I think um, so. Depending on where you are, if you're in Northern Ontario, yeah. I think it's a little cheaper, but, um, yeah. Well, we're, you know, golden horseshoe here where, you know, two and a, I, I live in a story, story and a half. And I think that market value is probably like 900,000. It's wow. silly stuff. Wow. <laughs> like 1200 square feet. Wow. Uh, 1250 or something. Yeah. Uh, so I think like, I, I, I thought I did pretty well, <laughs> but now <laughs> listening to you and I'm like, wow. But I mean, I, I bought a property here in Halifax as a triplex. I bought it from 180. Uh, put about fifty to sixty thousand dollars into it with sweat equity involved, and um, it's now worth three eighty five. Uh, so you know things things look good, but not like not that good. Like six hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand for a single family or a one and a half. Like that is wow. Yeah, just a one and a half story single family home. Yeah, it's uh, how do it's- people afford it? Our middle class is, has, you know, I've been talking about this for a while, just been destroyed, you know, our, our, you know, it's out of reach for, for most, um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a great situation. And I, I was just up the philosophy before all this happened that we were going to go to a day and age where, um, there was no middle class at all. You were either going to be wealthy or you're going to be poor and you really just needed to decide uh, which side you fall on. And I think that, uh, hopefully coming out of this, that's still an option. Um, but yeah, you know, real estate owners, they seem to be, you know, they're made wealthy because their properties go up in value. And, uh, I've been blessed with that, but also frustrated by it because I was buying for cash flow, not for the appreciation. And, uh, I liked being able to buy in my own market. Um, so I didn't have to travel and cause I've done the traveling, the distance investing and don't like that either. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was something, something needed to give. Um, so I don't know where we're going to end up in the long run. I, I think that this whole, this whole COVID thing could very well, uh, cause a contraction in our values, uh, especially in the higher priced areas. Um, and then maybe even push up our, our lower priced areas a bit, uh, just because people are going to, you know, naturally, uh, some people are going to be losing their incomes and going to want to save money. So they're going to go to the cheaper areas. Uh, that's just my speculation, right? I mean, you know, it's tough to say, uh, are you seeing any notable changes at where you are, uh, due to the, the COVID situation or is it too soon yet? I think it is too soon. Yeah. There's people are still outbidding each other here in Halifax, um, on properties and those are single family homes. Yeah. So those are just, you know, middle-class people, not investors. Um, on the investment side, people are still outbidding that as well. So serious. Um, in, yeah, man, it's crazy. Like there has been very little effect here. Um, but we had on the East coast, we hardly felt 2008 either. So I, I kind of expected it. Um, but coming from a new investor where I've only been really invested for less than two years, um, it, it was scary, like very, very scary because you have a lot of these property owners that have been able to build equity within the last five to 10 years or more. 
and they have that to, to leverage back on if ever they needed it. Whereas I didn't have anything to leverage myself on. So I, I couldn't get a HELOC or I couldn't get a line of credit on my secured equity or anything like that because I really only owned it for a year yeah. or, you know, so like there wasn't enough there. And it was really scary because I, th- I thought that people had stopped paying. Luckily, we've had better numbers during COVID than we did before. Um, for whatever reason, I think, you know, I don't think that they feel any remorse for me or anything like that. Uh, you know, a lot of property investors are like, oh, I feel like they, they kind of feel me and they, you know, they feel bad for me or whatever. I don't think that. I think that they're making more money now off of all of the stimulus checks um, that, you know, we have CERB, so the $2,000 um, coming in, we have um, EI coming in that you can double up on as well. So, you know, people are making more money now than they were before and it's secured. So they're not even working. They're just going to get the paycheck. Hmm. Um, and the first, yeah. So terrifying. Yeah. So (laughs) the first thing that, uh, that they're going to pay off of course is the rent so that they can make sure that they can put a, uh, a roof over their head. But for me, I'm, I'm certainly terrified of, and you, you, you and I have talked about this before briefly, but, um, like, what does this mean? Where are we going to pay it back later? How are we going to do this? First um, place is inflation. First place. That's, that's I mean, uh, my classic yeah. example is World War II. Uh, they yeah. paid off World War II with property taxes and they, or, uh, sorry, uh, income taxes. And they always said, we'll take away, and they called it the war tax. And so um, they said they would take away the war tax once uh, the war was paid off. And then they realized how much money they were making off of income tax. So then they called it income tax and they kept it and they just kept on raising it and raising it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it increasingly raising. Um, we're seeing that, you know, Joe Biden wants to do a similar thing that we're doing here in, in Canada, which is the, uh, the gains tax. Um, you know, we're seeing taxes increasingly um, mm-hmm. rising and it's, as an investor, it sucks. Like it's scary. Yeah. Well, I've, I've talked about this a lot, you know, that point of apathy, um, which there, there comes a point, like I've spoken with, with investors who, you know, said I was doing my job and it got to the point where I, I could work harder, a realtor. I know I could work harder, but if I do that, the government's going to take half of it. He's like, he's like, and I would have to bust. He's like, so here's, here's average effort. Here's, here's working really hard. He's like, it's just not worth it for me to put in that extra effort when I give up, give away half of it. And you know, we're, we're talking about stimulating an economy right now. Uh, in my mind, the best way we can stimulate the economy now that our interest rates are almost zero. They're even talking about negative interest rates here in Canada, which is insanity. Uh, just an absolute terrible, terrible idea that confuses the hell out of the market. Um, but you know, when you hit that point, that's a sign that one, you, first you have to let people work. How do you stimulate an economy where you won't let people actually do anything? That's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, and then the second part is, uh, you know, before going negative, it's time to cut interest rates or sorry, it's time to, to cut tax rates, stimulate the economy by cutting payroll tax, like cut, cut the taxes that affect people running their businesses. Um, that's the way to get the economy going. In my opinion, at, at the point we're at, because I think we are at that, that point of apathy in Canada, how much more than half of somebody's income can you take before they say enough is enough? Like and you, you, I love that you brought it back to like world war two and, and, and how the progression has happened. Uh, income tax never even existed in the U S until, uh, 1911, I believe was the year, uh, the federal reserve and the IRS formed the same year. And, um, they, you know, it started a little and then it just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, now we have, you know, we have sales tax, we have income tax over 50%. So you think about here, here in Canada, by the time we pay our pro- property tax, sales tax, uh, income tax. I mean, if you're in the top brackets, you're, you're probably, you know, almost 70% of every dollar you make going to tax. And, uh, 
at what point does that become too much? At what point is that a breaking point? And do we need to reinvestigate our system and say, here are some things that don't work? Um, some reason I question things. <laughs> I've always kind of, probably why I started a podcast because I'm good at questioning people I, I interview too. <laughs> but it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And I, yeah, I'm genuinely scared that we're talking uh, $252,000 or sorry, $252 million announced deficit this year, which you know, if it's Trudeau running the show, then we're probably going to end up around $400 mil, or billion. Um, when we started off with a deficit, people call it seven fifty, but we actually had over a trillion dollars in, in uh, interest-bearing debt. Um, is that really the kind of addition we want to make to our, our debt here in Ontario, especially when we don't really have a plan to come out of this? We don't really have a plan, uh, you know, that, that serves us in the near term. So yeah, this time, you know, I know big rant, hugely, hugely concerning for what it means for Canada in the long term. And I really do think it's important that we all start questioning here. Hey, what's the plan to get out of this? I think it's important to suggest as well that I, I don't think that my mentality is an anomaly or, or something that other people aren't thinking. Um, and, and my thinking being that with globalization and with global media happening, so I know what it looks like in Australia right now because I just watched a YouTuber record a video from yesterday mm-hmm. and I, I watched it today and it's beautiful in Australia and I'm thinking, wow, what a nice country, what a nice place. And I get to see that firsthand as if I'm there myself. And then I think back and I look up into the sky and I say, wow, it's not that nice here and taxes are really high and wages aren't as high as Australia. And I can start weighing and get getting information globally really fast via this thing that we call Google. And it just like starts um, creating this, this dialogue within a lot of young people that have decisions to make on their future and aren't stuck. And I don't think that, you know, it's going to be our generation that makes a huge shift um, where people, but a lot of people are starting to think about, Oh, I'd love to live in Europe or I'd love to live in South America. or I'd love to live, you know, elsewhere. And I think the previous generations were all about like, I'd love to live in Toronto or I'd love to live in Quebec city or I'd love to live in Vancouver. But now people are starting to look outside of the country altogether because it's the borders to our generation don't really exist much because we've had this media uh, surge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. We do definitely have perspective. I mean, coming out of this, I mean, Sweden's going to probably see their population double because they're going to be the one thriving. Um, you know, it's 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 tough. You know, no, there is no right way to handle this situation. For the record, um, I just think that uh, there is a wrong way, and I feel like we're doing it. <laughs> we got to find something, some way of of helping our our citizens. Because you know, and this this is another thought. You know, just the whole idea of universal basic income. And I talked about, I did a little economics talk on, on uh, the start of episode 54 or sorry, 64 or at the end of it. Sorry. If anyone wants to listen to that, but I mean, you can't create, you can't create money. You can create currency, but, but transactions need to happen where value is exchanged. If we just give people money, then they value money less because they didn't have to work for it. The whole idea of an economy, capitalism relies that money be at least to some degree scarce. Of course you can acquire a lot of it, but you need to be able to work for it and value it, um, so money is a store of value and it's a, a means of exchange and you can measure it and all that. Currency does not have to store value, which is why we see inflation. So we just have currency, which is just paper notes, right? Like it's just numbers on paper and they just keep printing this. It, 
it, it basically we're going to see. So yes, how are we going to pay for it? Yeah, we're going to pay for it in taxes in the long run, uh, and and also just the fact that we're going to go to the grocery store and now everything costs double. And uh, how long does it take before that happens? How many free paychecks do people need to get? This is money that was not in our currency pool, not in our economy that now is. Uh, and you know, you have dollars of demand which are now rising, but we don't have a growing supply because, well, let's face it, our supply chains are even compromised right now. If anything, we might even have less supply uh, because of them being compromised. So we need to force more accountability, I think, as Canadians. I really do because we're just kind of letting Trudeau get away with whatever he wants running his daily uh, press briefings. So anyways, I know that's a side tangent, but it's so relevant to our conversation right now. And you know what we're doing as investors today, like where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you see yourself continuing to invest where you are? Certainly, yes. I don't see yeah. myself being where I am uh, now. So you might move elsewhere, but you'll still invest in Moncton? 100%. Um, okay. the, whole, the whole idea of investing in real estate was so that I could make those kind of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole reason of building a uh, property management company and, and hiring property managers and, and teaching property managers on how to do things. Um, that was a whole benefit. That was a whole basis of it is um, if I can invest out of province and potentially out of, out of country, mm-hmm. um, then why can't others? And I can potentially help people be able to do that in markets that I understand here on the East Coast. And once your systems are set up, you should be able to go anywhere, right? You, you, you can go live in Australia if that, if that works better for you. you know, that, and I love that, that idea. I've always thought about that too. Like, how do I automate my real estate to the point where I don't need to be anywhere near it? Um, I'm already an hour and a half. I think you're like six hours from your real estate. Mm, three. Yeah. Three. Okay. And, um, so you've obviously already had to set up systems. You've been, this is training wheels for, for moving to Australia. If you're going to do that or wherever it is, why don't you just tell me real quick, what do you like about Moncton? Like what beyond that, you know, it's got a school there, but you know, let's talk about the school, but also beyond that too. Yeah. So the, the benefit of Moncton is just straight up is the fact that it's bilingual. Um, it is one of the, I think it, New Brunswick is the only bilingual province and Moncton is the only fully bilingual uh, city except for Ottawa, I believe. Might be okay. wrong. Don't, don't get mad. But um, every, every stop sign says arrat and stop. You know, like everything is, every restaurant is, you know, English, French. Um, and it's fully bilingual. So you can get in kind of trouble by not being bilingual, not offering your services uh, in both languages. But thankfully, I graduated from French high school. So I'm, I'm, we're okay. The, the really cool thing about that, though, is... Um, a lot of people from Quebec and Northern New Brunswick are moving into, into Moncton. And then a lot of people from dying English towns and cities are moving into Moncton because Moncton's always been a hub. It's the, it's the in-between of um, all highways. They all merge and all train stations or all, all train um, lines run into Moncton as well. So a lot of, you know, trade and a lot of business is done in Moncton just naturally in that sense. Um, and then it's, it's pretty close to the, to the ocean as well. So you're able to do that trade and send it off abroad. It's a fantastic place for tech companies as well, which, uh, has recently been surging. So that's exciting. Um, it's a great place for real estate for the sole sense that, uh, it's growing. It's one of the fastest growing cities in Canada. I think last time I saw it was like the fastest growing city in Canada of 20, I don't know, 14, 16, something like that. And now it's like number four, but it's been like steadily up there in the top five. Um, and to me, that's just super exciting because no one's watching. No one is paying attention. Yeah. 
And, and it's, it's um, hard to say you're ever over overpaying at the prices you're talking about too, right? Like that's it's, it's not, you're not on a bubble. Like there, even if students or school doesn't become as popular, people are still going to want to live there. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it's not just one school, it's uh, four universities or five universities and seven colleges or something like that. Um, population is 75,000 or 175,000 or something like that. I don't know, but it's, it's small. Um, but it is growing in uh, significantly and lots of um, different cultures are moving in as well, which is extremely exciting because we're uh, happy to be like a cooking pot for what the future mm-hmm. kind of looks like. And it, it like Moncton is an incredible place. If anyone just wants to go visit, it's super cool. in the fact that like you see every culture and every and it's just a small town and it has all this type of food. I mean, some of the best Korean food I've ever had is there. Yeah. Some of the best uh, African food is, is right there. You know, we have everything in Moncton um, and it's very cool because uh, they're so inviting and so, you know, happy to have that. Um, mainly, I think just because it was a dying city. It was a dying city pretty much like what New Brunswick is dying itself. Um, it was going to become another St. John or Fredericton where, you know, numbers are kind of like teetering slowly or, or falling off. And that's not exciting to live in or to invest in. Whereas Moncton is, you know, hockey sticking and everything else is kind of just flat. So it's, it's exciting. It's a really mm-hmm. cool place. What do you think makes it different than St. John or Fredericton? It's the other one, right? Yeah. The other big yeah. city. What makes it so different? Yeah, government. I, I really believe in uh, their municipal government and the mentality that they have between growth, investment, um, red tape, stuff like that. Like they are, um, they're very open as a, as a culture in Moncton, like I said, in inviting other cultures. Um, but in that, they're also inviting other ideas and they have hundreds of like pitch competitions and hundreds of, you know, idea melding pots or whatever they want to call them. Like they, they're so open to hearing new ideas. I mean, they brought the Rolling Stones, the O2 or what's that band? Um, U2. Yeah. U2. (laughs) They brought U2 Rolling Stones. They brought Paul McCartney. They brought, um, or did they bring, but like green, like they brought so many cool, uh, bands, um, that Halifax, the like three times larger city wasn't able to, to acquire. That was, you know, back when I was growing up and, um, it was such like a, a you know, a heck yeah kind of moment for such a small place because we were doing it, we were growing and we could show that it is a great place to invest in. And as a business owner now, I totally understand and, and, like I, I say yippee about Moncton, although I don't even live there. I'm so excited about the growth that they're seeing. Um, Halifax is growing crazy right now. Uh, we have shipbuilding, we have shipyards, we have uh, the, the, like the military. We have a bunch of like five, six, seven universities, larger universities, you know, like we have a lot of stuff here in Halifax too. But I think from an investment standpoint, Moncton stands a real chance to be um, a, a power player in, uh, on the East coast, East of Montreal. Wow. Okay. Um, you mentioned a bunch of schools there in Moncton. I d- had no idea it had that many schools. What, what schools does it have, does it have there? Yeah. So putting me on the spot here, but oh, uh, just give me a couple examples. I know you're not going to have them all. Yeah, yeah. So university of Moncton is by far the biggest, but then they yeah. also have a medical, uh, branch of university of New Brunswick. 
Um, and that one is actually headquartered in Fredericton. Um, they have uh, Olton College. They have the community colleges, both English and French. So two um, there. They have uh, another university, I think, called Crandall University. Um, yeah, just loads just smaller, of... Smaller schools, but... Yeah, but I think University multiple. of Moncton by far is the biggest. That one has, I think, 8,000 students. So, okay. I mean, in your perspective, that's tiny. Um, mm. That's a pretty, you know normal size here yeah on the east coast yeah i think between fanshawe and western in london there's like over fifty thousand yeah. uh, students it's pretty yeah pretty big school yeah so different different student experience um but it sounds like there's a lot going on there and the thing i really like about it uh what you're saying is is it doesn't seem like your numbers are inflated you know compared to ontario compared to like our student rentals they're inflated the closer you are to the school i mean it, it's it almost doesn't function at least from a number standpoint uh, if to buy near the school, if you want cash flow, if you weren't going to rent to students. And now, you know, of course, if you're renting to students, you can get the cash flow. But um, I like to be hedged. I like to have multiple options, um, you know, just cover my bases, have A, B, C, and D uh, as far as plans go. So it does seem like you've got that going for you as far as, uh, as far as uh, investing in Moncton uh, goes. Um, okay, so you've given us a lot of info. Why don't you tell us where, uh, where people can contact you uh, if they'd like to get in touch? Probably the best place to get in touch with me is Instagram or Messenger, um, okay. just something personal like that. I think that would be fun for you to kind of see inside my life, but also for me to see inside yours. My name again is Tyler Sellers, so that's spelled S-E-L-L-A-R-S, and um, Instagram is Ty, so T-Y, and Sellers. Um, okay. Those are probably the best places. And then our company is called Maze Projects, so that's the uh, contractor's side. Um, and then the property management side is called Maze uh, Rentals. And that's all under the Maze Management brand that we're okay. soon to launch out. So it's it's exciting stuff. How do you spell that? Maze? Maze, M-A-Z-E. Yeah. Okay. M-A-Z-E. Um, okay. Very cool. And I, I forgot to ask you this before, but I mean, I, I think you had mentioned this to me before that you're kind of at a point with your cost of living out there that if you didn't really want to, you you'd be able to just get by on the rental income you have just managing your own properties. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's basically what I've been doing. Um, all the construction money is either going right back into the company so that we can grow or into some sort of savings, uh, so that I can buy more properties. But as of June of last year, I've been fun employed on uh, rental income. So, you know, truth of the matter is I got let go because I worked in startups and startups have no money. So they had to let me go. Yeah. And I just, for, for the life of me, haven't been able to find a job since then. And it's really been a blessing because I've been able to build this company that's doing really well. Um, and, and I was kind of forced into it. That was, my hand was forced. And so, yeah, I would, I really would. I don't think I would have done it otherwise, which is fantastic that I haven't been able to find a job. That's actually a, a brilliant story. Um, the fact that you're able to do that. So how far from when you bought the first property until how much time before that and you were fun employed and living off 10 your months, own? 10 months. Yeah. Wow. I mean, people talk about it here and it's a multi-year strategy at, at best uh, for some more yeah. than others. Something I will say though, is um, it, was, it, it was not easy. Like there's no such thing as passive income in, in properties. Especially not with, not, not with what you're describing too, right? Because you're no. not doing fully renovated properties. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be calls. The less renovated it is, the more calls you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, and I'm constantly reinvesting into the property. So technically speaking, I, like, I make no money. Um, but I'm, I'm building my assets so that in the next five to 10 years, when well, five years, when everything uh, is able to refinance or you know, new mortgages, I'll be able to buy those you know, larger 24, maybe 
you know, units, um, buildings. And yeah, I think it's like a huge, huge, uh, opportunity for a lot of people is real estate. And I, I truly believe in it because of what it's done for my life. And I would have never been able to do that if I just stuck with a $60,000 paycheck. That's an incredible story, man. Very, very cool. Like very inspiring. I'm sure some people are going to want to move out to uh, New Brunswick. <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to. <laughs> you can still invest there without it. Yeah. Um, it's smart though. Hey, if you, if you can find a way to make it work, make the systems work or have strategic partnerships that, that make that work, um, you know, it might just make sense for, for a lot of people. So very cool. I appreciate that. So if you had one piece of advice you'd like to give to, to people um, either getting started or already, already established and want to take it to the next level, what would you tell them? You kind of talked about it um, a couple times in this podcast, but fear. Mm-hmm. I embrace fear with change and it makes me feel so much better about my fear. Um, and I've had, you know, my CEO uh, at the last company that I worked at, I told him like, I'm, I'm really scared about you know, being let go. And he was like, I'm, I'm really scared of letting you go too. And, uh, that right there was a moment for me to be like, all right, got to change. It's got to change something. Cause I know it's coming. Yeah. And uh, thankfully I worked for a company that we were, we shared the numbers every Friday. So we said like how much money we have left over, how much money we have left, you know, what's our runway looking like? Oh, we're six months away from letting everyone go. So I knew that I wasn't one of those people that were going to be at the last day. Cause I wasn't as a marketing member, I'm not key the product and, and, you know, that kind of side at the CEO level, like that's, that's key. Um, so I always knew that I didn't have much of a buffer left. And I, I, every day I'd come home from work fearful, like just full of fear. And I never made a huge change until, um, I was fearful. Like I was really scared of my future and it's okay to fear. It's okay to feel fear, but doing something out of fear like just fully fearful is not smart. Um, the thing that set me, I think different than most people that are fearful is I didn't buy something because of desperation or, 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 you know, just because I needed to buy a a place. Like I didn't buy single family homes. I bought multi units right from the get go or things that like cash flow quite a bit of money. Um, right from the get-go to start because I knew that that would get me out. Otherwise, if I'm putting myself in a hole buying a single family house, I'm, I'm in a bigger hole being let go than I was before. And um, that would have been even more fear. So I think you need to really weigh that, look at your numbers. And I, I'm happy to share, by the way, my spreadsheets um, on, on all my properties, like not, not the live spreadsheets, but you know, analysis spreadsheets uh, so that, you know, you can do it too, but it really worked for me and uh, accepting that fear, understanding that it is fear where it's coming from and how you can change it. Huge. Yeah. Is there, do you have a, a trick? I mean, does that effectively get rid of the fear for you? Do you, do you think like, it, so you, you kind of face it and then acknowledge from a objective analytical standpoint, this would be what I would need to do to eliminate that thing that I'm scared of. Is yes, that- exactly. So, I mean, um, I don't suffer from any like high anxiety or anything like that. Thankfully, mm-hmm. um, I'm blessed with that. But when I do feel anxious, the one thing that gets me out of it is not like laying in my bed. It's yeah. um, doing something and like responding to those emails or, or you know, uh, creating a plan on paper and, yes. and feeling just so much better with like my goals and my and my plan on how I'm getting there and then I can go to sleep. But otherwise, you know, if, if I'm saying like, Oh, I'm only making, you know, $40,000 a year. Um, that's not, I don't see any way that I'm going to grow from that. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to buy properties. Well, then there's no plan. There's just fear. 
and it's not going to do you any good. Uh, create a plan and then be able to find properties that fit your plan. Um, I think that that's really the one thing that set me apart from everyone else is like, there's no one really working as hard as me in, in, in that I know, like in my circle. Um, but that's only because like, I, I, I fear more probably than a lot of those other people. And, uh, I, I do things to change that. That's, that's brilliant. I'm glad you shared that. And, uh, on that note, like, absolutely. I, I, from my perspective, just my opinion, but I think a lot of people need to stop just trying to find any deal that comes up, just any deal that works with their numbers. Like pick, pick where you want to be an investor first, then start looking at deals. Don't just look at any deal anywhere. Know your market, like your market, love your market and choose that market, choose the locations based on fundamentals, not emotions. And then going back to what you said about fear, I just think that's such an important uh, discussion because fear is good. Fear is useful in some circumstances. Don't ever act out of fear. You have to, you have to find a way to calm, to efface it, to understand it. I mean, I've had so much fear in my life from situations that I've put myself in losing a whole bunch of money in the States, you know, you know, getting in trouble with bylaw stuff in terms of trying to do stuff with my properties and not being able to. Uh, and I, I put myself into situations that created huge anxiety for myself. Um, and I had to step back and say, how do I not create those situations again? What, what changes do I need to make in my business that will prevent those situations from happening? And maybe I've overcorrected, maybe not, but I mean, I, I feel comfortable where I am and it allows me to sleep. And I think everybody's got to find that, that point where they can sleep. Exactly true. Yeah. That's, that's same with me. I think I'm just a monkey that has done, you know, one or two things, right. And it's been really lucky. Um, you're crushing it. You're crushing it. It's, it's cool, man. It's really cool. Like everyone can do it. And that's the scary thing on my side. But, um, like I said, like that also brings out a little bit of a fear in me. So I'm willing to work harder than a lot of other people. Um, and it's, it's awesome. Like, you know, Jocko mentality, just, you know, get up earlier than everyone else and work harder than everyone else. And, uh, you know, like we can talk about that all day. Uh, Absolutely. That being said, do not want to stress enough that it's okay not to be okay. Like it's okay not to want to crush it every single day and to crush Mm -hmm. it every single day. It's fine to, you know, fail at a couple days or something like that, but don't, don't get, happy with, with that momentum, you know, keep on, keep on putting some momentum out in the world and something will come back. As long as you're kind of staying your course, maybe you haven't hit your timelines, but you're still kind of pushing along. That's a really good move that you're making. Well, another thing I'll I'll even add to that, um, which I think you're on a great role here is, uh, progress isn't always, um, buying a property. It isn't always putting a, you know, putting that first check in your, your pocket. And some, some people need to spend the time learning. Some people just truly are not ready. There are, there are examples of that that just don't know enough to take action yet. Uh, take action in terms of buying, but that doesn't mean you're not calling. That doesn't mean you're not driving around. That doesn't, you know, you, you have to find, but don't, don't stress yourself out and put all this pressure that you need to buy a property by this day if you're not ready. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways. If you reflect back on where you came from and what you understood and, you know, like you start, I used to notice it when I, when I was talking to people about stuff, I'm like, wow, I know that. Like it'd come out of my mouth. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, I do know that. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, there's, there's funny ways that you make progress that aren't necessarily buying a property. And I think that now of all times for a lot of people is going to be a time of reflection and a time of learning, not necessarily a time of buying because we're trying to figure out exactly where things are going and how our market's changing. I had a quick call with my dad yesterday and he called me an expert. And I was like, no, like you have no idea. I'm not an expert, but I think like I genuinely am to some people and which means yeah. something it's just, it's all relative, me, I know. Right? yeah, exactly. I, just yeah. to me. But, um, 
one thing I will say that's been extremely beneficial to me, um, and I would think you, is network. So um, my literally the only reason why I've been really good, I said I'm a monkey, like literally like there's nothing differentiating me than a lot of other people. Um, my network is different than a lot of other people, though. I will say that. And my realtor pushes me out of more deals than he brings me in. Um, and he won't share deals. So I'll find an MLS deal or something like that. And I'll be like, Ricky, why didn't you send me this? And I'll say, it doesn't cash flow, Tyler. Like, there's nothing there. And oh, my numbers looked pretty good, I thought. He said, no, you weren't getting this, this, and this. And it changed everything. And I could have made the wrong call if I didn't have the right guy or if I had a salesman that just wanted to make a sale. Um, and so getting the right team together and getting, putting yourself in that position is really important. I mean, almost every day I'm trying to buy deals and, you know, my realtor saying there's nothing really good out there. Don't, don't put yourself in this situation. Don't be desperate. And you know how, like, you know how many like young investors, brand new investors don't have that team and are buying those deals Mm -hmm. or even old people with money, retirement money, thinking that they're going to get rich off uh, watching your podcast and they'll get into the wrong deal. And then, um, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, people watching your podcast are getting bad information. <laughs> Didn't mean that. Didn't but take I just, that yeah. Okay, good. I just mean like, you know, they're getting inspired by this, like this whole mentality of there's money to be made here. And, you know, they're jumping on um, bigger pockets and, you know, putting in a couple loose numbers in the calculator. It makes sense. They remember that number and then they jump into the deal and then the real numbers come in and they're like, that's, that was my retirement fund though. And they're done. Like yeah. they're out of the game. So make sure to get your numbers. That's the biggest thing in this game is just, you know, there's nothing more important than understanding numbers and, and being really conservative. Yeah. And, and on that note, because you know what it's like to spend a lot of money in maintenance in one year. I mean, mm-hmm. what's, what's your average maintenance, you know, amount, if you just had to ballpark it off the top of your head for, for a triplex, like, are you spending 15,000 a year on, on maintenance or, or is it less? Is it more, 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 see, that's oh, yeah. the thing, right? Like a lot of people here think, Oh, we'll do a, a you know, two, $3,000 maintenance budget. I'm like, you don't even know if your roof goes, if your furnace goes, if your sewer, uh, collapses, if your sanitary connection, you're 10,000 there, your furnace could be five to five to 10. Like your air conditioning unit could be $5,000. It just depends on how good of deals you get. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's my, that's my total maintenance yeah. number. So I mean like this yeah. year, for example, we spent over 200,000 on maintenance, but that was across, also in, across 40 bedrooms. Yeah. Like six houses, like six properties. Right. That's a, so, that's a lot, right? So people need to let lot. that sink in. Uh, I've heard but the we did a flip. We did do a flip. Oh, okay. So that's, that's something different. Yeah. Yeah. Like the home that yeah. I'm living in right now is, is yeah. technically like a, like a huge renovation. It was like 60, mm-hmm. 70,000 or 50, 60,000 yeah. dollars. I think it's going to be like 75 by the end by the end of it. So I think like, you know, it's a lot of money, but, um, the other properties, they all needed egress windows in some places. They needed some better insulation. They needed, you know, a complete unit was redone because of a flood. Just a bunch of these things that always happen. Um, my Instagram story, I think it's still up if you wanted to jump on there quick, but that's awful. Uh, the toilet chronicles. So I think, you know, poop everywhere, even on the ceiling isn't great. And, um, you know, it costs a lot of money just to, to deal with something like that. And a lot of money is relative, right? Like when you're making yeah. 14 to $1,600 um, yeah. a month, like one month lost, isn't that big of a deal. But, um, if you're only making three to $500 a month, that's three months yeah. of money loss. And so it really can affect you. 
So that's why, yeah, on that note, you really do need to be realistic about your maintenance number. If you have an old property, 5% maintenance is not enough. I I don't know how much you're going to put in, but it's not going to be 5%. So uh, I think you just need to realize that, be real about that. And also don't forget about life cycle maintenance. A a furnace has a lifespan. A roof has a lifespan. Uh, Figure out how many, you know, if you're going to replace that roof every 15 years and it's a $15,000 roof, then you should be setting aside $1,000 a year towards that maintenance life cycle budget. Um, You know, just thinking about things a little bit differently, understanding that these things are coming. So why pretend they don't exist? Mm-hmm. They are part of your cash flow. Uh, I try and be as realistic as I can, even if I don't incur that expense this year. I want to know uh, that it's there. I want to know about it because it, it affects my, my long-term planning. And uh, anyways, I know we're, we're going down the rabbit hole here, but I, I, uh, I definitely think people are going to get a lot of value out of this, which is why I thought we should just dig in. Uh, so Tyler, where's your next, uh, well, where's your next destination? I know you said you're going to keep investing where you are, but is it Australia or where are you yeah. going? No, I think I'm really focusing in more on uh, buying bigger properties, um, yeah. more multi-units rather than uh, houses. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we're looking at, you know, six to 12 units, 12 to 24 size. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of scale that we're looking at soon. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm constantly looking for more deals, constantly interested in buying more deals. Um, I think, you know, I'm in a good market. I might as well, you know, keep on going with what I know. So, so keep on and and Moncton do the multifamilies, just, just, you know, scale it up. That's right. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, vacation wise, or what do you, what do you do outside of all this? Like, I mean, assuming we, we didn't have COVID, what, what would you be doing for fun outside of real estate being fun employed? Soccer is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I play soccer three, four times a week. If, um, if I'm, if there were not in COVID, um, and hanging out with friends, like the whole benefit of me picking my own hours was to pick my own hours and to do things that I enjoy. So, you know, I can start dinner at three o'clock if I wanted to, I can mm-hmm. um, take the dogs for a walk at one o'clock if I wanted to, or 11, it doesn't matter. Right. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is, um, creating a lifestyle that I really wanted to have for a long time. There is a thing about fire, like financial independence, retire yep. early that, um, is talked about quite a bit, which is, uh, the, the negatives of fire when you, when you do retire early, um, and retirement for me is just like literally working for myself. Like now Mm -hmm. I I'm considered retired in my view because I don't need a job. Um, you're independently wealthy, right? And I do that because I, uh, and I work because I want to work. Like I need something to do. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about my company that I'm building, um, maze management is because it's like, it's purpose driven back into me instead of it being someone else's baby, um, that I'm building for them. So yeah, I'd really love for people to reach out and, you know, once maze management's up, I'd really love, um, some people, this is actually maybe an ask for your listeners, but I'd love to get some, um, some feedback on the website design, the website, uh, structure, that kind of thing, because I think something that's really missing and lacking in the construction industry is digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that there's a huge opportunity there to take on. So I'm happy to talk to any contractors who do do mar- uh, digital marketing and I'm happy to talk to anyone who's willing to share their opinions on, <laughs> on the website that we're building. Cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they, uh, would be more than happy. I think the best thing is that if they go, you know, follow you on Instagram, then you post it as a story there. You're probably the best, you know, quickest and easiest way to connect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just give you a time to get that up there. Yeah. Get but, my uh, web dev guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, really interesting story. I, I was looking forward to this. So I'm glad that you had a chance to share it. And I'm sure our listeners and viewers will uh, appreciate it as well. 
Thank you very much. Hey, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, it's it's great that you're a part of the group as well. So thank you for, for doing that. And uh, I really look forward to doing this again sometime, maybe even in person. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, and also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.